Chapter Twenty of the Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter Twenty. Great Caesar fell. Oh, what a fall was there, my countrymen! Shakespeare. The exclamation of horror which sprang from the lips of Robert Endy caused the detective to pause in his narrative, and he wiped his face vigorously, the while remarking that the car was very warm. It was a fact, but it was mostly his eyes that he wiped. Robert's thoughts had been so completely with his father that although he heard the detective's words, their meaning did not make a very clear impression on his brain, and the last statements had therefore taken him somewhat by surprise. He could see that to King and Chandler the death of Chambers was no news. After a moment he said, "'And so he has paid the penalty of his crime.' my friends i thank you that you did not mar the joy of the moment of my deliverance with such news well well and so it was chambers now i think of it he had black hair but i never once suspected him yes said arthur and it matches the sample a great deal better than mr endy's does but still it doesn't match i tell you there is black hair and black hair I had just come from an interview with you when I first saw those hairs, and I never even took the trouble to make any closer comparison than that. But don't think that I did not examine Chambers' hair months ago. It will be after today when we get to the bottom of the hair business. He had on a wig, said Chandler positively. Arthur smiled as he said emphatically, Wrong again, just as I was. The hair was fresh and not dead and had been pulled out by the roots. It was a long time before I could get any of Mr. Craggy's hair to examine, but when I did, I would immediately have had him arrested as the guilty party, had I not previously found out certain things that make it physically impossible for it to have been him. On that night, snow fell from shortly after twelve until nearly three. There were no footmarks towards the door in the snow on the car platform or steps, nor about the car the next morning. There were some coming out. They were a woman's. I have the measure of them. And yet, you say, why, how in the world, said King. I don't know, said Arthur, but I'm going to keep on trying until I find out. And there are some more things in this case that I don't yet know. I must find out what became of our witnesses. Robert had become interested, and King was glad to notice it, and said, Hurry, Mr. Arthur, at least tell us all that you know. Well, the first thing I did was to throw the nearest window wide open. Then I stooped to pick up the remainder of the scar. And as I did so, I noticed the paper Mr. Craggy had not yet unfolded, lying there close by the scar. And I picked both of them up and handed the paper to Mr. Craggy and carefully placed the cigar in the case which I drew from the dead man's pocket. No, he had not substituted one of his cigars. His are short, thick, very black ones, and that side of the case is still full, and the only vacant space in the case, when I opened it, was just where I had seen him place a cigar from Craggy's box, and then, on second thought, take it out again, light, and smoke it. 
his words kept ringing in my ears until in spite of myself i threw the remainder of my cigar out of the window as i did this mr craggie who had been standing as though rooted to the spot seemed to come to himself and he replaced the paper in the envelope which he still held and put them in his pocket then he said sharply what did you do that for couldn't help it said i chambers was smoking one of yours when he died why you certainly are not fool enough to believe that man's crazy talk why he poisoned himself to escape hanging mr craggie stopped right there in fact the last syllable was only a gurgle in his throat and then he cried out great god and his life was not even in danger i had been watching his face closely and i then said now i think that you are an innocent man this time but i'll tell you candidly that innocence don't always save a man as you ought to know if you will look back over the past four months you will see that things look black for you if chambers had been expressing fears for his life to people in general as he did to me and if there are others who know that you had a reason for getting rid of him and his testimony i am going to have a hard time clearing you my advice to you is to say absolutely nothing until i or your counsel give you the word and then i examined the other pockets in chambers clothing and in one of them i found a certain power of attorney whose wording showed at once that others held just that information and when i showed this to mr craggie well gentlemen i have no words to describe the effect on that proud and overbearing man he pleaded with me to save him he promised half his wealth he kept repeating over and over again my god my god why was he so bitter towards me i always treated him as well as i did anybody at last i said if we knew his motive we would probably solve the whole affair you rich men don't seem to realize that the way you are carrying on is liable to but right there i came to a stop the car had been shifted to the siding where it usually stands and we had been so taken up with our own affairs that we had not noticed the black cook when he leaped from it before it came to a standstill as soon as he touched the ground he cried to the conductor and engineer good god man mr chambers has been murdered by that old devil in there all of these men were attached to chambers and when we realized what was going on we were brought to our senses with a jar for the train was surrounded by a howling mob crying lynch craggy and so forth i had scarcely time to push him into the cook's room which was the only place that could be defended when as i faced about with a gun in each hand i found that the conductor and engineer were coming into the car i had no time to lock the door when they saw chambers lying there the tears rolled down their faces and they cried to those outside it is true he's dead and i do not wonder that mr craggie cowered into the remotest corner when he heard the screams and execrations of the crowd i have faced mobs before but may god almighty save me from ever confronting such another one there was not a hoodlum or a tramp in that crowd it was largely made up of the passengers who had been waiting for the next train and the railroad employees after gazing at chambers for several minutes the men turned to search for the president 
rocks, and some bullets had smashed every window in the car. Mr. Craggie had been hit more than once by the rocks, but at that point the man who used to be telegraph operator at Steelton, Fred Paisley by name, sprang onto the car steps with a rope in his hand already looped and knotted, and cried, "'Stop that firing! You might kill him! Bullets are too good for Craggie! Here's the rope to finish him!' They stopped to listen to him, and he said, "'I used to hate Chambers. Thought he caused me to lose my job and had me blacklisted. I found out the other day who it was that has been keeping me and my family from want. It was Archibald Chambers. Death to the man that killed him!' I began to think that my own time was getting pretty close, for I don't usually abandon an employer. The conductor and engineer saw me standing there— as soon as they turned. At the same instant, I called to them to throw up their hands, and said I would shoot the first man that came towards me. I tried to argue with them. I told them that Mr. Craggie was my prisoner, and that I proposed to hand him over to the authorities. Nothing did a bit of good. I suppose there would have been but one termination to the affair, if someone at the station had not telephoned for Jones, and while I was still arguing, he came on the scene. I don't know how Jones does it. He didn't have a single deputy with him. He didn't apply to the governor for troops, but the fact remains that he made his way through the crowd to my side and had the engineer and conductor deputized and persuaded to help us keep the peace in a few minutes. The man is absolutely fearless for one thing, but I think that I am not much of a coward and I could do nothing. Of course, it wasn't pleasant for Mr. Craggie to face the crowd, but it had to be done, and I'm free to confess that they hustled him about considerable before we reached the prison van, which was drawn up as close to the car as the mob would let it come. That was the only time that Jones drew his gun, but when he did, he used it. Just as he was pushing Craggie up the steps of the van, the ex-operator, Paisley, who still held the rope, slipped up and dexterously threw it over the prisoner's head. He pulled vigorously on it and cried to the others, "'Catch hold, boys! We'll have him in spite of Jones! Jones has sold out to the millionaires!' That word was his last, and the rope was off of Mr. Craggie before he took another step. The sight of the dead man cooled the courage of the mob, and we drove off at full speed. Then the prisoner was soon behind bars and stood committed for trial." for the magistrate refused him bail when he learned that Chandler and the engineer and the cook and the conductor, to say nothing of myself, all had heard the dead man express fears for his safety. And when I was obliged to say that Chambers had told me of those fears in the presence of the prisoner not five minutes previous to his death, and that the cigar, which I suppose was the direct cause of his death, had been to my certain knowledge, taken out of Mr. Craggie's box. The magistrate, who usually knows which way the popular wind is blowing, would not listen to my supposition that Chambers himself had placed it there. For that's the way I interpret Chambers' talk about gambling. But said, That will do, gentlemen. This court does not need any more testimony. Committed without bail. That's the end of Jones's popularity. Mark my words, said Chandler. Watch for the reaction against socialism, said Arthur.
The train at this moment pulled up at a station twenty miles from Steelton, and the usual tinkering with hot boxes commenced. The four men were nearly wild with impatience. Arthur left the car and went into the telegraph office and wired to Arndt, and in a few moments Arndt replied, "'My God, man, are you that far away yet? Thought you were coming on a special. Carriage is waiting at the depot for you now. Hurry, I tell you, hurry!' Arthur did not show the telegram. He went to the engineer, an old acquaintance of his, and said, "'Introduce me to that conductor of yours, will you? There is a thousand dollars in it for you and him. If you will drop those two cranky coaches on the siding, put all the passengers in ours, which hasn't had but four men in it the whole trip, and land us in Steelton just as fast as this engine can get there.' Seeing that the man was wavering, Arthur added, "'You don't need any orders from headquarters. All you have to do is to try to make up some of that lost time. You are now way behind the schedule, you know.' The engineer hesitated and finally said, "'Sorry, I, I can't oblige you, but you know the rules. Much as a man's job is worth to think for himself and use ordinary good judgment these days, so far as a clear track, you're right enough.' for we are on number four, formerly for freight, not much freight from Steelton these days, and they put us over here to be out of the way of the through express. No, it isn't right of way that is the matter, but it's the dropping of those coaches, you see. Blacklist is a pretty tough proposition, you know. Arthur replied by handing him the telegram, at the same time saying, Mr. Endy's son is in that car, going home to his father. "'Come along, come along,' said the engineer, starting toward the conductor. "'I thought the old gent was all right again.' Arthur said, "'So we all thought. Something must have gone wrong today.' After a few moments' conference, the conductor said, "'If all of you gentlemen will agree to bear me out in my statement as to the dangerous condition of those forward coaches, I will drop them.' I am much obliged for your offer, Mr. Arthur, but I don't want a penny in such a case. If we get fired, it will be in a good cause. So they went to the others and stated the case, and in a few moments they were traveling at a fairly satisfactory rate of speed toward Steelton. While the change was being made, Arthur wired Arndt. Could not get a special. Twenty miles away. Are coming on with but one coach. May be with you in thirty minutes. All the party were much cheered when they felt the swift onward movement of the train. Even this car was not filled, for everybody seemed to be going toward Clyde. The trains that sped by them on the regular passenger track were all crowded, and from the number of them that went by, it could easily be seen that extras were being run. Arthur had noticed this, but Robert now did for the first time, and he said— so Mr. Craggy is having a chance to find out how an innocent man feels in prison, for I presume that he is innocent, but it may be that he will be very glad that the walls are thick and that Jones has him in charge before morning. Did you notice how crowded that last car was that passed us now? Arthur replied, Yes, and so were all the others, and so was every train that has passed us this afternoon. As to his innocence, I thought so and I hope so but Chandler told me some things that are troubling me mightily. As to the moral guilt, I think, from what I have learned since the strike commenced, that he is many times a murderer. I am going back tomorrow to consult with him, and— 
an exclamation burst from king didn't you know it i thought you were concealing it from endy mr craggie is dead each looked at the others in speechless amazement and finally king resumed i was just stepping into my carriage intending to catch the two thirty express for steelton when i was called to the magistrate's office to attend a dying man what they sent for me for i don't know for he had shot himself in the mouth and blown the top of his head most off why will people kill themselves in such horrible ways there was not a thing for anybody to do so when i got there knowing that i had missed the express i asked for particulars you must have started from there as soon as he gave his corroborating testimony in regard to chambers confession of endy's innocence yes said both arthur and chandler and the latter added we had to go through with the red tape business necessary to liberate a falsely imprisoned and perfectly innocent man you know miserable farce said king that's my opinion of the law as we have it to-day well as soon as he was committed for trial and while waiting for the prison van to arrive or something else he took from his pocket a letter addressed to him by chambers he laid the envelope on the desk in front of him read the letter and then slowly tore it into minute fragments and dropped wad after wad of them into the reeking cuspidor into which the policeman who had him in charge was expectorating mouthful after mouthful of tobacco juice he seemed to be so unconcerned that no one thought to stop him and he smiled every time a lot of the pieces were engulfed in the filth almost everybody had drawn away from him and when the last of the letter had disappeared from sight he requested the officer to get him some water to drink the man was not ten feet away from him before mr craggie was dead in god's name said arthur what could have been on that paper mr craggie said to me while we were standing over the body of chambers i wonder why he was so bitter towards me and my guess is that he had found out the country is well rid of both of them i think said chandler not much choice between mr craggie and martinvale or some of the others who are likely to succeed them in running things said robert but here we are at steelton and without waiting for the train to stop completely, Robert sprang from the car and grasped old Rollins by the hand with the single word, Father, on his lips, and Rollins, not knowing of his ignorance, said bluntly, Still alive, sir, but sinking fast. Arthur was by this time at Robert's side and supported him when he staggered under the blow in another moment robert had regained control of himself and sprang on the back of arndt's pet which he had recognized as he left the car and then the mud of steelton streets was sent to right and left under the rhythmic blows of willing speeding feet and robert was out of sight before his companions could enter the carriage which stood waiting for them in clyde there was neither mud nor sleet in steelton the depth of the mixture made travelling slow when they were fairly started, Arthur said, "'Man proposes. I worked like a beaver to get Chambers arrested in time to let Robert get home on the day of the meeting, for his father assured me that it would lack only that of being the proudest and happiest day of his life. He had not a doubt of his plan being accepted.' "'Do not upbraid yourself,' said King. "'Had you anything to do with the guilt of any of the others?' 
Suppose that Robert were still in prison. My idea is that if his father is as low as that, he would now be dead were it not for the sustaining hope you gave him of seeing his son again. And great and small and high and low are instruments of his. End of chapter 20